Climbing to the cockpit with pilot and Link Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Council. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cockpit Council. My name is Tim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer at Link Squares. And with me today, I have Andrew Ting, who is the Chief Legal Officer at Panorama Education. Welcome. Thank you very much. So, uh, so we kick off every episode asking what your, pre- your pre-flight ritual is, like actually flying. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, in addition to being a lawyer, I worked as a professional musician before. So one thing I do is I pull up my phone, I open Apple Music, and I make sure I've downloaded my playlist. And I'm sorry to say that my playlist consists a lot of club music. Like vocal <laughs> trance, techno, house, etc. Yeah. So even though I can't dance in my seat, yeah. um, at least I have something going on. Give me some energy during the flight. <laughs> some noise canceling. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so tell me a little bit about yourself and and how how your career has developed. And obviously, uh, professional musician. Sure. How does how does all that weave in? Yeah, absolutely. So I did not know I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up. I worked in graphic design. I wrote art history textbooks. I worked as a musician playing my cello and string quartets in um, shopping malls on the street here in Boston. Um, And I worked in IT for a couple years, too, to put myself through Harvard College. Um, And then my first job actually was just a few blocks from here on Atlantic Avenue, and I was in marketing. Um, And I realized that, hey, um, management consulting, marketing, really important and interesting. Hopefully, I still have that flair of marketing myself to the camera. (laughs) But um, I just was attracted to the law and kind of the analytical principles of law. So the intersection of technology and the law has always been super interesting to me. So thought I wanted to be an IP lawyer. Uh, Went to Latham Watkins in Washington, D.C., worked in technology transactions, venture capital, started working with bigger deals, doing public company securities work, M&A, capital markets. Um, Seven years in, built 2,700 hours, two little kids. I know, I know, not Uh. not sustainable. And then answered a call to go into financial services. So even though I am the the clubbing, orange hoodie wearing guy, I wore like the blue shirt, the suit and tie for a couple years, (laughs) joined financial services and um, worked at a company called Promontory Financial Group for five years. That's where I got addicted to hyper-growth companies like Alink Squares. Um, My company there employed 220. Within 18 months, we had 3,000 people. We quintupled revenue to over 1 billion. And then that's when I got hooked on kind of joining companies that at that stage of a couple hundred people and really charging it, building the legal team, making it happen. So we sold Promontory to IBM in 2016. Um, IBM, lovely company, too big, 1,500 lawyers reporting yeah. at GC. Yeah. That's where I struck out and became a solo GC. And okay. I um, joined two different fintech companies and also helped start a venture capital fund. Now has over a billion under management and two funds. Yeah. And um, all in financial services. But in addition to being a COO, I have two other side jobs. I am an adjunct professor both at Georgetown's business school teaching startup law and also at George Washington University Law School, teaching a, a business planning corporate law class. And after a while, just thinking about my life and raising my kids, who now I 
finally have time to spend time with after leaving the law firm. <laughs> what made me happy was really mentoring and teaching and developing people. Yeah. And so when Panorama Education, a couple blocks away here in Boston, gave me a call, I have no idea how they found me. I got the job. And so I've been in education technology general counsel or CLO now for the last eight months. That's awesome. And I, I assume you're having a great time with it, loving it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's totally good. mission driven. Nice. 16 million students, real impact across the country. That's awesome. That's that's incredible. So uh, so tell me a little bit about um, about how that hyper growth from two, three hundred to three thousand. Um, how did that sort of whiplash the legal team and how did you handle that? Absolutely. And I can see from the, the thousand, year star, thousand yard stare in your eyes yeah. that you've gone, been through that experience too, right? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so the first thing is um, we, we hired one or two additional lawyers, mm -hmm. but you know, compared to the amount of headcount that we're onboarding, it was, it was gigantic. First of all, it's just hiring that many people. Yeah. And um, we hired certainly maybe triple the amount of employees, but a lot of them were contractors. So we had to okay. work with the staffing firms, worry about wage and hour issues, et cetera. And then you just have to deal with the, all the additional clients you get. And the more clients you get, um, and we had some very, very large high dollar contracts that were kind of overseen um, by the federal government in some sense. Um, right. So just the client management was pretty difficult. Um, the projects themselves were foreclosure reviews, reviewing okay. foreclosures from all of the big banks in the mortgage crisis. Yep. And so it was a very politically charged environment. So there's mm -hmm. nothing like getting your managing director prepped for a Capitol Hill hearing. Why yeah. did you make a billion dollars? Because unfortunately, there's a lot of foreclosures that happened and a lot right. of harm that we need to look into. Right. So absolutely, um, you, know, you have a couple of generalists. What do I know about hiring hundreds or thousands of people? But it's also an opportunity to shine. And yeah. um, I'm just very grateful that was able to turbocharge me to become who I am today professionally. Yeah, absolutely. When you when you have that opportunity to to where, where basically you're just forced into succeeding. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. Uh, you, you have no other choice. Right. You can't go side to side. You can't go back. You you have to go through. And that's the absolutely. only way to be successful. Um, it really shows you what what you're made of. And. It shows you how to, I've, I found it shows you how to prioritize what's really important. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, especially for newer, uh, newer in-house attorneys and, and first time GCs, it's hard to understand what to focus on. Mm -hmm. But when you're growing at such a rate and your business is transforming at such a rate, you just have no choice but to but to keep only the, the plates spinning mm -hmm. That's that, right. that are critical. That's right. Yeah. And like you, um, I'm a perfectionist and a completionist. Yeah. And so the way I deal with it is I have an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. I write down all the things that I need to do and I choose three for the day. Yeah. And yeah. then I feel good that it's written down. I'm not forgetting about it, but I'm very disciplined. I choose no more than three and I do them well. And right. I delegate what I can and it works. How, how big is your team now? Is it's it just a 12 you? people. It's 12 people. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's a great size. Um, we, you know, when I, when I left DraftKings, they had about 20 people between mm -hmm. legal and government affairs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, that like that 10 to 20 range mm -hmm. is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's small enough to be focused and be yeah. cohesive, but large enough to have scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think for, you know, for, 
lawyers, a lot of, a lot of times lawyers don't have the greatest track record of mm -hmm. managing people. Mm -hmm. It really does force you to manage people in a very different way than maybe you manage people at a law firm. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. That's a great, great part of the experience. So, um, going, going in house and, uh, being a legal team of one, mm. um, what would you tell first time in-house attorneys, first time legal team of one, um, what advice would you give them for the first maybe 30, 60, 90 days? Absolutely. First thing I would say is congratulations. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the advice that my um, former boss, my former GC at Promontory told me is that, hey, Andrew, you need to spend a lot of time talking to yourself, right? Yep. And you, you get it. So to unpack it, it's like, hey, you're just one person and you don't have a colleague to talk to. You know that even though I had a reasonably broad and general career, could do a lot of things like a Swiss Army knife, I don't know antitrust. I don't right. know tax structuring, et cetera, right? And so sometimes you can call expense up outside counsel, but sometimes you just need to say, hey, wait, I just need to slow down. Even if the business is knocking on my door, screaming, because I need this now, like I need to slow down, I need to think through this. And just to have that discipline, that quiet time. Yeah. And, um, 30, 60, 90 days. So my mentor is a guy named Mark Rolig. He, okay. he used to be the chief um, legal officer and chief administrative officer at Mass Mutual here in Boston. Oh, nice. He's actually done an amazing series of articles for the Association of Corporate Counsel docket mm -hmm. on the 30, 60, 90 days and what you need to do. Like probably about a dozen of them. Yeah. And generally, you just have to listen. You have to yeah. understand the environment. You're there to bring order, but you're also there to bring order in a way that's culturally accepted. Yep. And if you're the very first lawyer there too, right? They'd be like wondering, what can you do and what can't you do? Right. right? So it's, right. The, the joy of it is that you can define your role. Yeah. The, the, the tricky thing is that there's no precedence. You have to build it all yourself. So yeah. I've now, this is now my fourth company where I built a legal team by myself. Yep. And um, enjoy it. But it's like, okay, have to find a contract management system. Right. Like call link squares, you know, right. that kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And just make it happen. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, this is this is my third. And um, the things that maybe worked at the first two, mm -hmm. don't always work exactly the same way. Absolutely. And I found that uh, I found that the role of the GC has evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And the expectations on the GC are very different, I think, today. Mm -hmm. than they were even, you know, five, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Have you have you also found that to be the case? And, and in what ways have you seen the role of the GC or CLO change? That's a great question. Um, for me, um, a lot of my growth as a lawyer or a legal executive has been an expand into adjacents. So the nuts and bolts, the table stakes is that you are a good general lawyer, right? right. And then you become a business executive. And then because you've learned you know, that you can run a team like government affairs, et cetera, you get government affairs. I run the government affairs team right now. Right. And then I was the chief compliance officer at my old shop. And I honestly spent as much or more time on the compliance aspects as a legal aspect. Because I find that, hey, if you run your business in a compliant fashion, you can just dry up all litigation. And yep. You can just proactively stop things. Yep. So I think in the evolution of a legal exec, um, running your legal team, prove that you can do it. And then, you know, Nature abhors a vacuum. The reward for good work is more work. And yeah, you start doing exactly. government affairs, compliance, privacy, security, adjacents. And then I think that's the difference between kind of a general counsel and then 
moving to you, becoming yeah. a chief legal officer, more of an enterprise view. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, to have a broader purview than, than just the legal team here. I oversee operations, oh, wow. IT, and, uh, and the people team, which is huh. pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, I know nothing about any of those three things, but, but it's, it's really required um, a different level, a different level of perspective and you know really forced me to hone in on my people management skills and that's that's something that's been a ton of fun for me mm -hmm. but what i've seen um what i've seen over you know over my career is that it's not enough to just be a lawyer mm -hmm. like especially for like younger lawyers be a lawyer be a very good lawyer mm -hmm. that you're right that is table mm -hmm. stakes mm -hmm. like you have to be a good lawyer but if you're just a lawyer you're not delivering what you need to deliver to the company. Um, you know, my uh, my CEO now says it all the time. He's like, I don't I don't care what your title is. I don't care what you call yourself. You are not a true executive if you're not bringing data to the table. Mm -hmm. If you can't quantify the impact mm -hmm. that you're making to the business, mm -hmm. you have absolutely no space in mm -hmm. uh, being on the executive team. Absolutely. I was talking to my research team just yesterday and um, they lean forward and they say, what's measured is treasured. Yeah, And then that's the whole awesome. table erupts into applause. I thought yeah. it was a little bit corny, yeah. but <laughs> what's measured is treasured, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's different companies, like I've worked mostly at metrics heavy companies like yep. that. The tricky thing about legal work is sometimes it's hard to measure. Like yeah. The risk that you mitigated so it didn't happen, right? right? How do you quantify that? Or efficiency, how do you quantify that? Yeah. So like in, a tool like Link Squares is great because you yeah. can quantify what contracts you're actually actively monitoring, negotiating, et cetera. Otherwise, it's just a lot of Excel spreadsheets and manual reporting, which isn't great. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I think I think it's important for uh, for GCs and CLOs to recognize that, uh, particularly in your contracting process, any time one of your attorneys actually picks up that contract and looks at it, that is a capital investment in that deal, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that deal will close and sometimes it won't, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, being able to being able to come to the business and say, this is what, this is the capital investment that our team has made in mm -hmm. terms of time, mm -hmm. right? People hours mm -hmm. um, is just, is just really enlightening, I think for, mm -hmm. and, and refreshing for yeah. the rest of the executive team to see like, wow, like you come in with that kind of that kind of measurable impact, mm -hmm. and um, and and it just instantly, you know, increases your credibility. So. And one of the cool things about legal is it's so cross collaborative and cross functional. Yeah. So if you have an opportunity um, uh, or you know a risk of making a, a good impression, right, across the whole organization. So I, I enjoy that. And contracts kind of sew the whole enterprise together. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe getting getting back a little bit to the uh, to the hyper growth. Mm. Uh, so you come in, mm -hmm. you set up process. Sure. This is how you, this is how legal uh, legal teams interact with mm -hmm. the business. Mm -hmm. This is how the business interacts with the legal team. Mm -hmm. um, did you experience any challenges? You know, going from three hundred to three thousand, mm. um, where where you thought you had a process in place, you thought the organization mm. knew the process, mm. and then there was a breakdown, mm. and then how did you fix it? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I did my diligence before I chose my first in-house job. So okay. the CEO actually used to be a Covington and Burling partner oh, and also a former government regulator. So if anything, okay. the legal department was firmly in control, widely respected. And, um, you know, he had created a culture of compliant rule followers, which that's was great. great. Granted, yeah. extremely demanding customer service. Yep. Um, and I think that's a differentiator between folks like us and folks who don't get off the ground floor is that you connect right. with your clients and their needs. Right. But on process, um, you build the ship um, as you're sailing it or the, the pilot analogy, yeah. <laughs> you build the plane as you're flying, which is a scary, scary thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's always processes that flex, I wouldn't say break. Okay. And then there's more complexity. Like for example, we also worked on five continents, right? And we we're constantly right. expanding. I set up our China subsidiary and rules are very different. Cultural mores are very different. Local yeah. partners you may be forced to work with are very different. Yeah. Like we worked with a lot of foreign governments, like the State Bank of Pakistan has very different procurement processes than the Federal Reserve in South Africa, right? Sure, sure. And you just kind of have to roll with it and change your S's disease when you're working on right. the South African contract. <laughs> right. I find, um, so I, I'm pretty flexible. I, yeah. you know, I'm a improv musician. I actually am fine, like just doing my thing on a podcast or right. on the street. Yeah. Um, that being said, you have to have some regularity and order. And I think that tension as a chief legal officer offering growth for the business to kind of flourish and find itself but also having consistency and predictability and internal controls. Right. That's the generative tension there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Professor, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> it took a couple of years yeah. before I got used to being called Professor Ting, but uh, I am Professor Ting. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I love it. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about teaching at the law school. Sure. What, what, Let's talk a little bit about your uh, a little bit about the class that you teach, overall, um, sort of overall subject matter, and then maybe some of your experiences around how dealing with students has mm -hmm. helped you in dealing with sort of your in-house legal team and your business stakeholders. Awesome. Um, I'll talk my law school class. I teach it for three hours on Monday nights. And my goal is to teach my students everything I wished I had known in law school. I grew right. up middle class. I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't know how to interact with legal clients. Right. And so uh, my class, um, no paper, no final exam. It's all group projects, okay. presentations to a client to start a business, and then a memo, a very pragmatic memo, citations okay. optional. And I really focus on teaching the soft skills for um, how do you do, we do a lot of role playing and counseling so that the client yeah. comes in with their needs and you have to tailor what you're saying to their needs. Right. And um, I think the soft skills really are the differentiator, right? Like you can yeah. learn the hard skills, but being able to stand up, talk to a client that's not sounding like a casebook, right? Be concise, but also be comprehensive. Hit yeah. the material issues, but also drive to a conclusion. Yeah. That's what I try to hammer home. On Monday night, um, I had actually had as a guest speaker, um, a woman who had taken my class six years ago, who worked at Goodman Proctor, now just moved in house. And she said that basically, look, I just spent three years at the law school. The only class that was useful to me when I started practice law was this class. Cause nice. it actually taught me to actually how to speak to people and how to write in a pragmatic fashion. Yeah. Um, dealing with students, um, I think 
being a, a lawyer sometimes is karma neutral to negative. Sure. So I feel like yeah. I'm helping folks. Like I was talking to Alyssa in your marketing department earlier today about um, how one of my students just got a job and she just emailed me overnight said, hey, thank you for helping me get this job at Capital One. Um, so glad that you were able to coach me for the interview, introduce me to people there. And it's life changing for my career. Yeah. You know, I've had a couple of folks I've been able to help at, you know, various decision points. And that feels really good. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's got to be a really rewarding experience to uh, to shepherd shepherd students in that way. You know, I think that's that's been the toughest thing uh, that I've heard from a lot of from a lot of attorneys is like being able to to interact on on a on a business level mm -hmm. and like understanding that you actually have to 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 drive to that conclusion like you have to have a position you can't just tell people what the law is and expect them to mm -hmm. expect them to to make their own decision you have to have a view on it absolutely and tying that back to an earlier question you asked about how teaching kind of relates to building a legal team and a growing legal team i find that it's become a big part of my own leadership style yep. where um, the first couple of hires you make are really important and they're often generalists because you can't they just have to hire handle all the range of legal matters yep. you can't hire a special litigator etc and oftentimes at a growth company there are folks who are more junior in their career but hungry yep. and don't have that experience so your job as a seasoned professional is really to teach them that's right and then teaching can motivate them too right because yeah. if they know that you really care about their personal development and their professional development they got your back right. they're in the trenches with you they're doing 110 120 percent yeah and it's an awesome feeling yeah absolutely so, uh, so I think, Alyssa, I think we've got uh, time for a couple of questions here. Awesome. All right. One is, what advice do you have for a solo GC operating as a legal team of one? So um, be careful, right? <laughs> you know what you don't know, which is sometimes very hard. Um, nobody wants to pay outside counsel hundreds of dollars an hour. Wouldn't it be nice if you could reallocate that to your, your budget or your bonus instead? Yeah. <laughs> that being said... Um, you know, it's always easy to kind of say yes to the client. We can do that. But it takes like some moral fiber to say, I need to think about that when everybody's staring at you in the room and asking for an answer. Yeah. So just kind of slow down, make sure you think, but don't slow down too much. <laughs> Good answer. Um, what are some tactics that you've used in your career to build relationships across the organization? Hmm. So um, I mentioned that I like club music. So when my, um, my company went to Fort Lauderdale, Florida and had a beach karaoke party. I volunteered to dance in front of everybody <laughs> with the finance team. And I danced pretty well, even though the sand is not a, a, a sure footing, but I didn't fall down. And after that, like people came up and says, you know, you're really cool. I, I, I understand I was a little scared of you with your two Harvard degrees and being the chief legal officer, but I can just hang with you now. <laughs> you know, a marketing tactic. That's a great way to break That's the awesome. ice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a good last one. Any mindset tips for a lawyer starting at their first in-house gig? Mm. So if you are coming to in-house from a law firm, um, at the law firm, you're a revenue producer, right? You're the king of the hill. You're around lawyers like most of the time. The, the vast majority of your organization are lawyers or folks with legal training. Um, when you're in-house, especially if you're a solo GC, you might be 1% or 0.5% in the organization or whatever. 
and um, you're kind of a fish swimming in your own sea. And they don't, a lot of them have not worked with lawyers. They don't know what a lawyer does, what a lawyer shouldn't do. Um, and you, it's your job to be the ambassador and define the role, which is super exciting um, if you're in-house. But also, um, you know, it has a lot of opportunities to, um, to kind of shape things your way or another way. That's awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. This sure. has been an awesome conversation. Really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, if you enjoyed the conversation, please give us a like, give us a follow on all the socials, and we will see you next time. Thank you.